are back once again with another edition of Inspire Pro AD. I am Maximilian Meehan, one of the co-owners of Inspire Pro Wrestling, here with my good friend Justin Bissonette, also another owner of Inspire Pro Wrestling. We are the owners of Inspire Pro Wrestling. We are the owners. Yes. And when last we spoke, the we had joined the NWA. We had our first XXD-oriented event which was highly problematic uh sammy (laughs) sammy guevara had shot on another company that he was working for at the time by the name of rcw and had pissed off the owner brandon oliver as well as a bunch of other people we collectively wanted to kill brandon stroud at this point and of course barbie hayden had defended her nwa women's title against Porsche Porsche Perez Perez. in a historic main event. While the show was highly problematic looking back at that event, it was, it was, it it, it aged well. Yes. It's a, it's a, it was a good show. show And a a milestone show. Yeah. You know, it was supposed to be, um, by hook or by crook, we made it into one. Um, And in spite of all the success accrued at this point, we're still mopping up the fucking hall yeah. <laughs> by yeah, ourselves. Still, still haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah, we're still mopping up. Everybody yeah. busts the ring down, and there we are picking up streamers yeah. and confetti and all this other crap. And, hey, uh, can, you, can you spot mop this spot before you leave? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, no problem. Let me uh, get on that. Yeah. So, Take this bag of fucking beer cans out to the, the uh, dumpster. Uh, yeah, no yeah, problem. You know, what's, on what's funny, though, is that I can say that at this point, we... We really did get along with the kids that were put in charge of the theater. Uh, yes, that 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 ran yes. the bar, ran the kitchen, sort of. Kitchen yeah. consisted basically I, of just a heat heating oven for pizzas that were catered over by the parlor. However, yeah, we had R- Raven Raleigh behind the bar as well yeah. as David Von Olerking, and both those guys were phenomenal. And we really enjoyed working with them. They made everything extremely easy. Yeah, those those two in particular were just a pleasure. Yeah. So anyway, as much as we've grown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they were they were very tender yeah. toward us uh when we were trying to basically <laughs> mop up all the stale yeah. beer in the hall. In fact, I will say this, there were times where we would show up and things were not quite so cared for and it really pissed me off. I mean, I was never pissed off at at Raven or or David. I love those guys, but I remember one time we showed up and there had been a rave that had been in the hall the night before, and there were all these weird, like, sex trapeze things hanging yes. from the ceiling, and confetti, and weird lights, and I think at one point we even just decided to just go for it and use this shit. That yeah, some of it, yeah. yeah. I remember people walking in and going, what's with that weird sex trapeze hanging from the ceiling? No. What gimmick is this? Yeah, but no. yeah, no, it, was, it had nothing to do with us, but it no. was there. Um, anyway... So yes, we are we are united in brotherhood with the NWA <laughs> as we're mopping oh up the God. hall, which is really hilarious. Uh, Tony Brooklyn didn't help us mop up, brother. No. Um, anyway, I mean, not like he was expected to, but yeah, no, yeah. But this this so between between our last event and our next event that we'll go into shortly, we made another trip to Houston, and yes. this was this was I think the the marks in us made this excursion because Kojima was performing at 
an illustrious VFW hall <laughs> <laughs> in Cypress, Texas. In Cypress, Texas, uh, that, Cy- that Cypress VFW is uh, extremely famed in the Texas wrestling scene. And I, I believe he wrestled Carson. Yeah, Houston Carson. Houston Carson. Um, this was this was also to me. This was more of a chance to kind of embrace the like brotherhood of the NWA promoter family. Yeah, this was this was awesome too. You, you remember in Blood and Blood Out when Miklo first goes to prison, you know? You, you want to hear something really horrible about me? Sure. I've never seen the movie. Okay, let's let's stop this right now cuz I was telling a story. Yeah, no one ahead. needs to know that you don't go. know what you're talking about. Do you remember when Miklo goes to prison for the first time in Blood and Blood Out and everybody's trying to get some chonchon from him and everybody's trying like, you know, tugboats trying to rape him and stuff? Kind of, kind of like you know my first experience when we went to Houston. This time we walked into the locker room and we were embraced as brothers, and it was fairly comfortable. And you know they they gave us water and bread. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we went we went to uh, we went we went to Cypress, Texas, aka Houston, for you know the yeah. promoter in 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 us because you know honestly when you're when you're promoting. You always just say you're running in the closest city to you, even if you're running in the most potent burg ever. Cypress is pretty yeah. goddamn potent. I'm still Houston. Yeah. The biggest the it biggest is. the biggest building outside of the VFW was the Bucky's next to it. So for for our Austin friends, like it's the equivalent of running Leander and then saying that you're running Austin. Yeah. Right? Anyway, it's like so, the Leander of Houston. So we go there, we get to meet Kojima, which is a big deal for us. I believe Stroud was even with us. Um I think he was. Yeah. He was, it, would, it would make sense. I remember him just kind of being really giddy and, and yeah. like touristy. Yeah. But it was also at this event that we met somebody who would become a major staple of our events going forward. Um, that was none other than Keith Lee. Yeah, this was uh, this was y'all's first time to see see Keith, correct? Yeah, I was really impressed. He was a big guy. He was doing crazy stuff for his size. Uh, Keith Lee was someone I had actually heard about previously through Matthew Palmer. Yeah. He had taken a little bit of time off, I believe, following an injury. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's uh, Keith at that time um, was in and out of the wrestling business. He hadn't been uh, injured? He, he he may have been injured at this point, but there were, there were also periods where he just stepped away from time to time. So I'm not sure if it was one of those or if it was an injury at this point. Yeah, I remember he had just been away for a little while. Yeah. This was a guy that Matt had said, you need to see this guy. And finally, I had an opportunity, and I was really impressed. I think anybody who sees Keith for the first time and they see how this big guy moves is really impressed. So we knew we needed to get him on our cards. And as I recall, Tim Storm, who later became a, a huge staple of our shows as well, he had a great look. He He had a classic old school 1950s wrestler look to him and I was really high on him as well as Keith and of course these two guys were teaming as part of Matt Riviera's stable uh, you want to say anything about Matt Matt was a guy from um, Arkansas and had connections to a TV uh, station down there so Matt was able to get his uh, local show on TV and had a lot of connections within the Memphis area, kind of old school wrestling to bring in and produce that TV show. So Matt was very influential at the time. He was a longtime NWA promoter and was a big part of what they were doing at that time. So, Who was yeah. the guy that was his, his uh, uh, tag team partner? 
Greg Anthony. Greg Anthony yep. was phenomenal. Greg Anthony yep. was a guy that you would see, and he had a very deceptive look. Mm-hmm. But in the ring, he was incredible. And I was a I, real student of the game. Meanwhile, though, I stuff. would see I would see Matt, and I was never really impressed with Matt in the ring. But he had, he, yeah. he had a boatload of charisma. Matt. So they were a really good team yeah. together. And Matt was the guy with all the connections to make it happen. Yeah, and they had, I don't remember the name of their stable. I want to say it had Empire in the name or yeah, something I think, like that. Yeah, I think it was. Because everybody think it was the Empire. The Empire, yeah. yeah. So it was Tim Storm and Keith Lee tagging against Jax Dane and Scott Summers. Yeah. And we were impressed with both of those guys. And of course, hey, Kojima. And it was there that we made the connections with Keith and Tim, though Biss already knew Tim and Keith. But that was where I was really sold on them and where I was really just insistent that we do something with these guys in in the future. Yeah. This is one of those cool moments where, yeah, I knew Keith. I knew Tim. Like, I knew that these guys existed. But then um, you in particular, seeing them and going, oh, shit. And then the creative juice is getting flowing, right? Yeah, yeah. So... We decide to drive back, of course, and we have a long talk about what we're going to do for the next event, which was entitled Clash at the Bash. We had really high expectations for this event. It's our anniversary show, you know? Yeah. So that brings us to our next event, Clash at the Bash, which was my brainchild. It was our anniversary show. I always kind of regretted the fact that we titled our very first wrestling event the beginning. Yeah, it was a rather uninspired title, but I wanted to give a really special name to our anniversary show, and so I came up with the utterly inane WCW-like Clash at the Bash. I love redundancy in titles. I I love silly titles. This was definitely a silly title, and we had really high expectations for this show. The card was star-studded. I was going to be allowed to do a lot of creative stuff, of course, with it. And uh, we we had some hiccups at this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So before we go into it, we have to address something that we hadn't we hadn't yeah, really we, broached, and and I, I do this with some trepidation and also embarrassment because I feel like if this happened today at a show, and it, it, it the person involved would have been immediately dispelled. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know. I, I mean, personally, I didn't really have a lot of clout at the time. I was just kind of going with the flow, and I was just insistent that I was just insistent that that it be addressed somehow. Yeah. Um, I, I think. What we really tried to do is turn negatives into positives. Well, and we also try to create learning moments. I yeah. think right now we're in this we're in this weird box where when someone does something wrong, everybody screams about taking them out into the street and putting a gun to their head, yeah. but nobody has the guts to pull the trigger. So we had we had an event with Jordan Jensen who makes his return to this card, as you may have noticed or may not have noticed. Yeah. He kind of disappeared. For a while. But what had happened was Jensen was on a card. I don't remember what show. And he made the grievous error of screaming the N-word at somebody, not in the audience, another worker. Yeah, this would have been our third show. This would have been in the match with Showtime Scott Summers and Ricky Starks. Yeah, so we basically suspended him. I think we had the idea of essentially just letting him go. Yeah, I think that was the first thought. The we first were, thought yeah, was, we, okay, we let him go. Yeah. People continued to ask us what was going to happen to him or where he was or what was going on. 
I think at the time there were people who were advocating for for Jordan as he was well liked. Um, and we're not just talking about a bunch of good old good old boys. Yeah. There, were, there were a lot of people of color even who advocated for Jordan and wanted him on the cards. So it wasn't simply just a predominantly white company covering for a guy who said something bad. In yeah. fact, this is where I kind of get to tout the fact that our company is known for being more diverse in terms of its racial makeup. I myself am biracial. Uh, so I'm very sensitive to how people of color are represented. And going forward, I mean, a lot of people know us as the company that actually put people of color into the title picture and also put titles on people of color, which is not something that you saw a lot of by whatever virtue in the state of Texas up until very recently. And I like to think that we really spearheaded that. Yeah, well, and it came from a mindset of putting the best people in the best positions. It wasn't even about... It wasn't like, oh, we got it. It wasn't like there was a quota system or some shit, right? No, we simply it, didn't let people's skin color hold them back. Yeah. We we And we weren't doing the typical uh, ring of honor, hey, look, random black guys, let's throw them together kind of thing. Yeah. We really wanted to avoid that. We just basically booked people based on their merits, and we didn't let their skin color hold them back. Anyway, that said, we were really embarrassed with, with Jordan, but we had people within the company taking up for him and pushing for him. I think my idea was to just kind of like sit on it and not deal with him. And hopefully people would just stop asking and we weren't going to bring him back. I don't think, but uh, at this point we had a lot of people within advocating for him. And uh, there were also people on the outside fans who were asking us, how are you going to handle this situation? Because you can't just ignore that this happened. So I believe several months after, not several months, I'd a say couple, it was, uh, I think it was the two shows. Yeah. We basically just said that we were going to, uh, suspend Jordan indefinitely. And, uh, I jokingly said <laughs> at some point that we were sending him to sensitivity training. Yeah. And I think there was some, there was some sort of validity to that in, in a shooty kind of way. I think we were really punishing him. And putting him in a position where he couldn't do this thing that was part of his livelihood. We we had backed him into a corner and said, what you did was wrong. You fucked up. And you'll be lucky if you come back here. Yeah. And we'd be shocked if you got to work anywhere else. And, and I think the instance, too, was, I mean, he said it in a way like he was, you know, like, like it was a, a rap song or something. And I thought it was a good learning moment that for him to learn that. You still can't say it that way. Right? Well, his it, thing was that, oh, I'm a heel and this is something that heels say, but you don't yeah. have to say stuff like that in order to get over as a heel. Yeah. So there but, was just no excuse. And, and that was, uh, to me, that was backtracking because that, you know, it, yeah. he wasn't thinking. Yeah. He, and that was what he needed to learn. What he needed to learn at that moment, more than anything, was that he had to think before he acted. So at No Room to Die... We we had we, we, we went into that show having people advocate for him and I believe it was Sean Vex who even said he wanted to work a program with him. So when Vex came back and asked to work with Jensen, he had so much credibility as a guy who grew up in a in a tough part of town, he spent time in the service. He was the guy in a position to make the request and I was gonna listen to him because I trusted him. And uh, so basically we continued on this gensitivity angle. Jensen comes back. 
Sean Vex comes out, interrupts his apology, which is part of Jensen's 12 steps. He demands his inward royalties. <laughs> and this is supposed to build up to a uh, match that is going to happen at this show, I believe. Yeah, it, was, it sets up a tag team match. Yeah. And before then, though, I also did something. I, I, I recorded a promo because I wanted to address it in my own weird way. I wouldn't have done this today. <laughs> I think it shows how much we've grown. Yeah. But basically we and, had... And the world has changed, honestly. At the time, I remember it was... I think it was in Detroit. They had had a funeral for the N-word. Do you remember this? I don't, but I, I know that that was the precipice of the the uh, promo. Yeah. So we had Jensen actually come out to my strawberry garden, dig a hole with a shoebox that had the Nike swoosh in logo on it. And he had a funeral of his own and he apologized profusely to people since his apology was cut short by Vex at the, at the previous show. I think at this point we knew that something was going to change at Clash of the Bash that we didn't announce until yeah. night of. But anyway, this kind of, this kind of, this was this was an awkward thing to have to deal with. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move well, on. One of one of our first weird controversies to deal with. So yeah. I mean, literally the first one, right? I think honestly, so. my thing was that I was done with Jensen before people took up for him, and when I had people, particularly people who I don't feel like I have a right to be offended for, yeah. took up for him. I felt like I needed to listen to them. And a lot of them, their opinion was, this is a learning moment. Let him learn. And and let's bring him back and show that we can make people better without rather without really just throwing them on the on the on the trash heap. Yeah. Anyway, here we are at Clash at the Bash, which is our anniversary show, one year in the business. So let's let's touch on a few added things that helped add production value to the show. Yeah. So we brought in uh, Lisa at this show as our backstage interviewer. Now, Lisa Friedrich. Lisa Friedrich, a local comedian. And she helped. She took the role basically as our backstage interviewer. Yeah, I believe this is someone that Stroud brought to the table. Yeah, she was the main actress in Meet Me Meet There. Me there. Um, so I, I had worked with her on that movie. So had met her there and then she had been coming to the shows during the filming of that movie just yes. to kind of check it out. And Phil, Phil Librand also knew her. Yeah. He was the director of Meet Me There. Biss was an extra in Meet Me There. Brandon was the writer of Meet Me There. Yeah. So I, I say I worked with her on it. I'm all of like 10 seconds, but but also, there you go. But also um, she worked uh, at various clubs around town and so she had a connection to chris true who was a local comedian in town yeah. so she had a lot of people backstage and behind the scenes who knew her and advocated for her and we wanted someone unique to be able to do our backstage interviews for online content and we felt that she brought something unique to the table she had a really natural ability to fit into this really bizarre culture as if there was nothing going on around her that would surprise most other people. She 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 had a great naturalism to her. I loved her. I loved working with her. And I was really proud to have her be a part of the team starting here. Yeah. The other thing was that um, Raven built a ramp for us out of the stage, which was awesome. I think at the last show I had learned that the stage could be broken down. I really didn't understand the construct of the stage until that point. And I think the way I learned that was the hard way because a part of the stage fell apart at our previous event and when raven came in i noticed that he came in and 
deconstructed the stage and I asked him, hold up, wait a second. Can you arrange these tiles, which is this stage was yeah. made up of various tiles. Can you arrange these any way that you want? And he said, yeah. And so I said, can you arrange these as a ramp at our next show? And he said, oh, absolutely. Because I, I learned that the ramp was on on level with yeah. our, our ring. Yeah. And it, it brought back shades of ECW had that yeah. great ramp. Of course, we like never... Heat Wave 98 stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It made everything feel much bigger. And in fact, to this day, a lot of people lament the ramp being yeah. gone. It was also great because you could you could put a an apron along the ramp and someone could sneak under the stage, down under the ramp, and in into the ring, like under the ring. Yeah. And we utilized that quite a bit. I think one of the things that we were known for as a company was really utilizing the venue and filling in every corner, such as the book fair, such as the green room that Gary J had. And of course we do something here with Keith Lee that I believe Joe at voices of wrestling praised us for exponentially following it. Let's dive into it, man. No, we're not done yet. What else? Oh, we can't forget Genshi. Yeah, but that that's the start of the show. Let's hit it. yeah, also, just, just to throw this out there, we also had a bunch of inflatable palm trees in this yeah, space. And uh, beach balls. Beach balls. Ugh. The beach balls. Uh, the beach balls are not a great idea. No. Horrible idea. Yeah. But the yeah, beach- we had those. <laughs> yeah. We, we, uh, Clash at the Bash had a beach theme. It was, I believe, kind of like a, a mix between a, like a coliseum and, and a beach. And so we had a bunch of inflatable beach balls, and the beach balls were going all over the place yeah. all throughout the show, including the ring. <laughs> um, and eventually, I think we had to confiscate them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah I anyway. think like two matches in. There's one other piece of um, production value that was added to this show that has to be touched on. Eamon's Captain Hat made its debut at this show. We you need, remember the Captain Hat? We need to bring this back. It, it was so great. Yeah. It was so great. The Captain, I believe, is what, we, is what Stroud actually coined that. Yeah. And uh, from here on out, I believe Eamon was the Captain for a little bit. He was the Captain. Yeah. We need to bring that back, like I said. Anyway, so yeah, we begin the show, and I wanted to kind of set this apart by doing something special. One of the things, if you go to a lot of Texas shows that you see, is that it will begin with somebody singing the national anthem, which I fucking hate. I hate it. The issue is that it's not someone singing it. It's like a pre-recorded DVD that they have to plug in and put the microphone up next to the boombox and play. It's... It's horrible. It's janky as hell, but I have also been at events where somebody sings it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It depends. There there, there are varying uh, degrees of anthem quality. Yeah, there's this good carny trick, right? You get get someone from the local school or choir team to come sing the anthem, and then you sell tickets to all their parents because they're going to come out and watch their kids sing, right? So, yeah, there's tons of... Very horrible ways this can be done. People people were, shockingly enough, hounding me a lot to get the national anthem played before our shows, and I was really not into it. And I think this was kind of like at the head of it. I just decided to go, you know what? You want the anthem? I'll give you the anthem. And so I gave them the anthem in my way. And this is this is actually pretty great. So my friend Jason Kotowitz had come to a few of our shows with his son and I decided that I was going to put him in a ghillie man suit like a big swamp monster suit and he wore his uh, his heavy metal vest over it and he had a wireless rig and so we had a swamp monster come out with a guitar and basically real American style play the national anthem uh, fun fact Jason Kotowitz is actually a current member of the Dead Boys he's a part of the current 
touring version of the classic punk rock band. He's a great guitarist. He was also in a band called The Bulimics. Um, really phenomenal, colorful, multi-tiered individual in terms of accomplishments. And I was so grateful that he was game to do this. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. If I could have had Ginchy at every show, I would have. Yeah. If I'm going to do the anthem, I'm going to do it in the goofiest fucking way possible. That's not to be disrespectful, but just if I'm going to do it, I don't want to do it in a cheap way. I feel like a lot of times when they play the national anthem, they do it to uh, promotions, do it to appeal to a certain demographic. And that demographic isn't one I have a whole hell of a lot of interest in pandering to. Um I will mention that we were working with a company called VetTix at this point, yeah, which is a company that gives away event tickets to veterans uh, who are currently serving or veterans who have you know yep. retired. I was always really proud of that, but I never wanted to be the company that did something like that and made it part of their PR or their marketing. Yep. So you, you, while we did occasionally say hey to the people who came out for VetTix and thank them for their service, it wasn't something that I was trying to exploit. Yeah, absolutely. And... As the history of the show's gone, one of our most important shows is the Memorial Day weekend show. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. Just little things like that without it being right on the nose. Yeah. I just don't want to wave banners or exploit anybody or mm-hmm. or be cheap about it. You yeah, know? Be actually thankful for it instead of using it as a fucking promotional device, right? Yeah. It's it's too claw machiney for me. Yeah. Anyway. So we begin with it was a match that I don't think a lot of people up front were very excited about as an opener, but I knew that we would get something really great out of it. And in fact, I believe Josh Montgomery, uh, the third the third part of our ownership team, was very eh on the idea of this on paper. And once he saw the match, he was blown away by it. Yeah. In fact, I believe it made him a huge fan of Thomas Shire. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Davy Vega versus Thomas Shire. Yes, sir. Which these two were very close at this time. So yeah, both the from chemistry St. Louis was at this there, point, I believe. Uh, no, Shire, Shire hadn't moved up yet. Okay, all right. Yeah, but um, Shire was. I I can get into it. Go go watch the the besties on high spots. Go watch that stuff, and you can hear about why they were so close at that time. Um, it's kind of convoluted for us to dive into here. Long story short, 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 long story short, Thomas was somebody that the St. Louis group spent a lot of time with while they were down here in Texas. They had a great chemistry. And Thomas at this point, bell to bell was phenomenal, right? You can, there were some other things he needed to work on, but in the ring stuff, guy was on fire. There was certainly a disconnect for me with Shire in terms of, who he was when you were talking to him outside of the ring versus his personality inside the ring. I thought Shire was hands down one of the funniest people that I'd ever met in the business. He's a very funny guy, very comedically inclined, but you didn't necessarily see that translate in the ring. at times. It was very muted. And I don't know if it was because he didn't want to overshadow anything or what it was. But, uh, yeah, the gimmick was a very, like, no-nonsense no gimmick. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, he didn't do himself justice by not including sort of his sense of humor and his personality into his if character. If you'd see it, you'd see little pops of it, but it was yeah. never anything that really He, he was actively really working to, to hide it. Yeah. Know? And, you know, Vega at this point is branching out, going to more and more indie promotions. 
now he's on most of the big shows out there. So, but at this point, he's just kind of starting to branch out your AIWs, your AAWs, those. Yeah, exactly. After uh, this, we have what <laughs> I think really exists as one of the best battle royals we've ever done. I think at this point, we even had uh, an older NWA promoter who was in the audience. Was it was it Lance? It may have been Lance. Lance. Uh, Lance Romance. Lance Romance actually praised this battle royal and said it was easily better than any battle royal he'd seen on TV in years. I was really honored by that. But here we have, this is the Star Search Battle Royal. Yes. Correct? The Star Search Battle Royal, you may remember Chris True announced that he was going to hold a talent-finding match at this event at one of our previous shows. And whoever won this Battle Royal would become part of his stable. Yes. You want me to just go through these names? Save for the surprise. Okay. So we have uh, Eric Shadows. We have Jack Delfino, who was on the AAW shows shows that we talked about. Yeah, we gave him a shot. We have J.D. Kennedy, who was the nephew of Greg Simons, uh, Gigolo James Johnson, Joe Dan, Kenny Steele, Kyle Hawk. um, Matt Riot. Matt Riot. I've got uh, Michael Schaefer, um, Cedric Valentino, who now is Johnny Swole. Uh, Victor Tadlock and um, Victor Tadlock was f- a phenomenal talent. I thought yeah. I really wish we'd been able to do more with him, but he had he had such a great Central European yeah dictator gimmick, and he just he was a great personality. Unfortunately, a lot of our dates just never lined up with what he well, when he was available. Yeah. So anyway, we have quite a few new faces. We use a lot of these uh, opportunities to see if people can take direction. A lot of people look at at what I do. I'll hand, I'll, I'll hand out the scripts for the battle Royals and they're very, they're very compartmentalized. They start off with pairing people up and, uh, some people look at them as being overly convoluted on paper. But my psychology is that if I get 70% of what's on that page, even 60%, it's better than anything you're going to see anywhere else. It gives people direction to really work off of. And so even if they aren't to a T what I envision, I still get a hell of a lot out of it. But also I can see if <clears throat> if someone is going to take liberty and go off and do their own thing and not listen to me, I don't have any interest in working with them. So yeah. you see that happen Occasionally in Battle Royals, but... It, it, yeah, it also avoids the weird, the very painful lost spots in Battle Royals where, where guys just don't know what to do until the next phase happens. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, as the Battle Royals beginning, there was a large bay door. So at the start of the Battle Royal, Gigolo James Johnson eliminates himself, walks past Chris True, basically says... Flips him off. Flips him off and says, fuck your spot. <laughs> I don't want any part of you. And uh, heads to the back, yeah. Which is uh, which is another thing that these battle royals um, give us an opportunity to do is to extend stories. Yeah. So after that, we we get a, a few minutes of the guys brawling in in your normal, you know, battle royal fair, and then there is a large pounding on the loading bay door of the the hall, right, right over where the ring crew. Loads the ring. Loads in. the ring. So Jack from the ring crew pulls the bay door open with the chain. With the chain, very dramatically, and in walking in, bathed in the sunlight of the Texas sun, 
is one Keith Lee, who basically stands tall over anyone else in this yeah. battle royal. And, and and really, this is one of those moments where everybody was like, wow, now that's a fucking yeah. entrance. You know this yeah. guy is here to make a, a, uh, an impact. Yeah. Uh, and this actually, something occurs here that actually kind of pissed me off i don't know who did it but somebody does this really stupid thing i think i was like wringing my hands going oh you fucking dipshit one of the guys in the ring jumps over the top <laughs> rope and jumps onto keith and keith grabs him and then just dumps him and i was really mad because to me it's just like it's senseless you don't jump over the top rope onto somebody on the floor it just immediately pissed me off that guy was like was it Matt Riot? I think it was Matt Riot. Matt Riot. I think it was Matt Riot. And I love Matt Riot. But yeah, I it, think it was. It, it, it soured me on him for a while. Uh, <clears throat> anyway. They're, yeah. they're spot monkeys, man. Yeah. Spot monkeys are going to spot monkey. I even think later on in, in uh, backstage, I said, what the fuck are you? Why the fuck did you do that, man? Yeah. And he went, oh, I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Uh, they don't, man. They're, they're jocks. But anyway, Keith Lee gets in and boy, he just kills everybody in the ring. He is hurling people out left and right. And of course... This winds up with him being the last man standing in the ring, which puts him in Chris True's stable and automatically catapults Chris as this major force to be reckoned with as his stable continues to burgeon. And at this point, he has he has uh, he has Cherry, right? He has Cherry. He has Delilah and he has Keith. Yes, this is his stable to start with. But yeah, this is where Keith Lee enters the picture. And he comes in in a very dynamic way. And I think from the onset, you can tell that we had fairly big plans for the guy. There's one other note I want to make about the Battle Royale story-wise. True comes in at one point and eliminates uh, Eric Shadows, basically saying, I don't want you. Um, Oh, that's yeah. Which will come into play here in a couple matches. Very, very fun. Yeah. Okay. So next, (laughs) next we have an interesting match. Uh, Scotty Santiago. That guy. That guy versus Mr. B. And this actually, um, it's playing off some drama going on between the two uh, that had been, that had erupted at a previous event. And uh, we we built, we were building towards something yeah. here. So this is building off the J-Crown gauntlet encounter they had, which was fairly heated. This is the singles match that evolves beyond the J-Crown gauntlet. And we are going somewhere with this. That will culminate in a fairly hilarious moment that occurs at one of our future events. But a fairly sound match. Mr. B is shockingly over with the crowd. He is, yeah. And uh, everybody, of course, loves that guy. So this was just a fun match for the crowd to chew on. That further moves them up the card with each other. And uh, it's just fun. Yeah. And then, of course, we move on to a tag match featuring so, the Hollywood Knives, yes, who we the, established at our last event. My my baby. My babies. <laughs> so the Hollywood Knives take on uh, Delilah Doom and Cherry of the uh, the new movement, which is Chris True Stable. And the Hollywood Knives are able to pick up the victory despite Bradley Axel Dawson. Getting knocked out at some knocked point. Knocked out again. But Eric Shadows comes out and and acts his revenge for being eliminated from the Star Search Battle Royal by costing Doom and Cherry the match. Yeah. And getting under, working up the the dander of one Chris True. 
Yeah, so we kind of play off that moment in the Battle Royal where Eric gets eliminated by Chris as Chris roundly rejects him. And, of course, Eric comes out here, which is is funny. Like, why would you even want to work for that guy anyway Yeah. at that point? But he's just – he's I think he's just <laughs> insulted. He's incensed that he was rejected, yeah. so he wants to go and prove that this is what you get. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, retroactive booking. You yeah. got Matt Riot and you got Eric Shadows. Yeah. They, they were the tag team. They're basically the uh, version of the American Wolves at this point, where they're just dumb jocks. You know, <laughs> like can we can we accept that they absolutely they do alpha shit. You know, but, just, but we can't. But we can't. We can't overshadow the Hollywood Knives continuing gimmick where Bradley uh, is incapacitated. Incapacitated. Of some sort. Something happens, and I think at this point. Bradley intentionally knocks himself out or plays like he's being knocked out yeah. and keeps keeps down until he hears the bell ring and then pops up and celebrates with Steve-O. Yes. Steve-O, of course, is the workhorse of the team, always doing everything. This match comes a little bit easier because there's outside interference, but once again, Bradley's knocked out, and at this point, people are starting to kind of get yeah. it. And I, th- I think Steve is starting to get hints of this as well at this point. Yeah. At the next show, something really big happens yeah. with, with the team. Anyway, continuing onward to a singles match. Yeah, we have uh, the aforementioned Carson taking on James Claxton. So this is just good old Southern-style wrestling. Um, Carson picks up the win here. Uh, I believe this is the match after uh, Carson's father had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um this was a very hard like match. Shortly before the show, maybe a week. Very hard match yeah. to book because coming into this, Carson had uh, had big heel vibes. Yeah. And here we are following, I mean, his father had just died. It wasn't yeah. like it was, I think it was like that weekend, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it may have been the Monday before the show. Yeah, I think, it was very, very close. I think everybody kind of anticipated that Carson was going to take some time off. But no, yeah. he wanted to keep preoccupied. He wanted yeah. to be busy. He And he wanted to honor his commitment. And I think in a lot of ways, this was him kind of honoring his father with this match. Yeah. Um, and so when he comes into this, it's no one's going to boo the guy. Yeah. So we start to kind of shift the character a bit yeah. here, I believe. But this is a very... Simple match with two guys that know each other very well, and they just put on a hell of a banger. Yeah, and that's all yep. it is, and it's just it's just good wrestling at this point. So from there we go into uh, Showtime. Scott Summers taking on Ricky Starks. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, so Scott Summers has the WCCW belt. Yep, and he's going up against Ricky Starks. Now Ricky Starks is a guy who has as a character lost several matches because he won't break holds. I think the storyline here is that rope breaks don't count. Yes. And he cannot be DQ'd. Scott has up the ante and really wants to take on Ricky on his own terms. And this this has a this this is the seedling for a much bigger plan that I have for Ricky. And I believe this might also be a show where I had an argument with Ricky. I believe I yes. called Ricky Starks a tweener. And he hated that. And he yeah. said that there are no tweeners in wrestling. And I roundly disagreed, but we'll get to this after the show. This is a show where I got yelled at a fucking <laughs> shit ton. Yeah, I think did. I think I was almost done with things at this point. This may have been, and we'll talk about this at the end, this may have been the, the show, the, the fateful show um, afterwards. 
Yeah. So. So yes. Yeah. So we go. We go from that. In- hold on. Hold on. I need. To, I need to go into this. So, this is basically supposed to set up a moment down the line where Ricky is going to get a win back over Scott, yep. and it just things things go weird at a certain point coming up you'll you'll hear about that later yeah. but uh but this was supposed to be the start of something unique the idea of Ricky and Scott really intrigued me because they're so different in some some ways but they also are both very talented guys in my opinion so uh we have another promo from Greg Simons after this basically saying that Showtime bringing his own belt in is um disgraceful is disgraceful and it's it's a slap in his face and it's you know flies in the wind of what he's doing so we're we're setting up a greg and showtime encounter here yeah so so yeah basically scott as as if you've been following has introduced this rogue renegade title which he's defending because he feels that the match that disqualified him from gaining the Inspire Pro title was tainted with poor sportsmanship, and he thought that this company was going to be different, and so he has brought his own toy to the table yeah. to represent the integrity that he feels the company was supposed to exhibit and what was pitched to him. So he's mad and defending his title, and these t- these matches essentially are supposed to exhibit wrestling without cheating, without side interference. They're just supposed to be good, clean wrestling matches where... Typically, rules are really honored unless there are stipulations. This this belt is also a, kind of supposed to exist as the anti-ACW hardcore title at this point. Because you have this other company, our main competitor, they have no rules. They have referees, but they have no rules. And so here we want to drive home that the rules really matter in this company. And this belt is kind of telling a story here. So we go from that into Greg James versus Masada, which uh, Masada was a, is a, to this day a good good friend of mine, hardcore legend, yeah, deathmatch legend, Big Japan, Freedom, CZW, whole nine yards, Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy, like Ring of Honor, you know everyone knows Masada. So <laughs> we pair Masada up with. Uh, Gregory James, who still still has the death metal gimmick. Um, and they have wrestled each other on multiple occasions at this point. It wasn't like this is Greg James' first time wrestling Masada. Um, but for whatever reason in this match, Greg forgets everything in his match. Um, and basically, Masada proceeds to just beat the shit out of Greg. Not not literally. Like, um, but it, you know, he takes over the match and takes over the offense. Yeah. So there you know, there's a difference between working snug and shooting and in a receipt, which I don't think a lot of people fully understand, even though they think that they do. But yeah. the issue here is that, you know, Greg gets lost, forgets his offense, and Masada basically has to take over. So this match gets this weird review like we squashed out Greg, but that's not not the case at all. I I also think that I threw everybody left because when Masada came in, the one thing that I wanted to do was really present him as a guy that could wrestle because I feel like oftentimes when companies bring him in, they're just throwing light tubes and tables and fire at him. And Masada's a guy that can actually work. He can wrestle, and he's phenomenal. And this was an opportunity... For me to present him 
and really drive home the fact that our company wasn't about antics. It was about actual wrestling. And I think, I think that kind of threw Greg off. Yeah, maybe, maybe because you couldn't rely on the old tricks that yeah. you typically would in a Masada match. And so I think it threw everybody for a loop. Yeah. And I mean, what, what proceeded was, you know, brutal and what people kind of expect, but we really wanted to show off Masada's uh, ring work in this and didn't quite get exactly what we were looking for. Yeah. But the next match we definitely did. The next match is Matthew Palmer versus Raymond Rowe. And for us right now, Raymond Rowe is on fire. Uh, Palmer has come in and, and given us uh, a fresh new face. And he's everything he's doing is uh, getting great reaction. So this is just kind of a culmination of that. Matt was one of the guys that, uh, that made me want to start this company. So when he entered the picture, I was ecstatic. And he always delivered what I wanted. I was really happy with his direction. We have plans going forward. Matt is at times a little difficult to deal with only by virtue of the fact that I believe Biss always says that if there was a Matthew Palmer movie, Matthew Palmer would not cast Matthew Palmer as Matthew Palmer. Yep. It sounds, it sounds stupid, but he, he's not the kind of guy that is insistent that you put him over. He, He's a little shy about it. You, you know the story about like Daniel Bryan taking the um, the the personality test at WWE and then basically being like, "There's no chance that you should have the gumption to be here." Like, I think that Palmer exists on such a low ego level that I think that same thing's the case for him. Like, unless you know Matt and you know how he ticks, like if you just had that information, you'd be like, "How did you even get to this point?" But He's just, he doesn't think about Matthew Palmer first. He thinks about the story. Yeah, much more times, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's just, all right, at this point. It's about creating, it's about creating great moments, great art. And sometimes at his, at his own uh, risk, both as a name and just physically. I mean, he's done some things that I've seen that are just bad shit. I've. I've seen that guy get con- concussed way too many times. Not at our shows, but um, I was happy. Well, and I mean, yeah, he's done crazy shit at, at our shows as well, right? But not like yeah. the cherry picker thing or the yeah. scaffolding thing or, you know, things like that where he yeah. essentially almost killed himself, yeah. you know? Anyway, this was a great match. And I it was for me at that time, that point in time in the company was probably a dream matchup for me. And at this point, you know, I remember when you, you reflected on the Shane Taylor thing from a few, or maybe yeah, it was a few episodes ago at, at uh, I believe, Ecstasy of Gold, where Ray said he was going to cream you. Ray was so high on our company at this point. I think that's why that came as such a, a surprise. He really told me that he really enjoyed working our company. And uh, it was he was always a joy to have around. He just always had the biggest smile. He's a very warm guy. And it was two of my favorite human beings in wrestling working a match. They were both of my they were two of my favorite wrestlers, but also two of my favorite people. Yeah, and I mean, Palmer, Palmer had run out during the Robert Evans match. Right. Yeah. So we had that. That's that, built off of that. Built up to that. Yeah. Right. So up next, we have the Dalton and Jensen versus Jojo and Vex match. So before this this show, I want to say it was the week leading into. Yeah. 
Um, Vex had some some issues at home. Let's just leave it at that. And was not sure if he was going to be able to make it. So um, we were left in a position where we, we needed a replacement. The person that ends up replacing Vex here came in and said, hey, if there's any issues, I'll come in. I'll work for whatever the price was agreed with Vex. I just want to make sure Vex is, is good and he can take care of what he needs to take care of. And this became the second time that we ran into this issue with Vex. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So while while Chantez is one of my my personal friends outside of wrestling, um, we I think at this point we kind of agreed that we were not going to move forward uh, working with Vex. I think we flirted with some things after this, but we always came back to... Um, Can't risk it. We really... We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, Chantez is, is a, a single father, and at this point in his life was kind of focusing on that type of stuff. Um, Great guy. So, yeah, love him to death. I, I've I've stated what his strengths are. Everything he touches, you know, much much like an Eddie Kingston um, reminds me of. And then Nick Gage, everything he touches just feels very real. Authentic. And very authentic. So, uh, love him to death, but he was not able to make this this uh, show. So, we start off with Dalton and Jensen taking on JoJo one-on-one um, into the match. And JoJo basically does this thing where he kind of, uh, he comes out and he appeals to the crowd to help him summon yeah. uh, a partner, a replacement, I believe. And uh, as soon as the music hit, the crowd lost their goddamn minds. It, the cool part was it took a while. Yeah. So it was like, you know, and, you know, coming from St. Louis at this point, uh, ACA, a wild ACH appears. Um and is the replacement partner, which yeah, the crowd fucking loved. Yeah, and uh, this 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 match, something goes wrong here. Yeah, um, there's there's some commu- well, there's a few things that go wrong. If you ask me, here. I believe what occurs here is that Jensen isn't there when he's supposed to be to help catch somebody, and yeah. they hit the floor. And it's a bit of a scary moment, and so. Afterward, everybody goes outside. Now, I, I'm i going to go into this because I was outside for this. This is what begins what is essentially kind of a bad night for me. They're outside. I mean, by they, I mean JoJo and Dalton and Jordan and Albert, ACH. And at this point in time, Albert, Albert has a pretty bad temper. And he's yelling and he's going nuts. And... Uh, the the complex where the Marquesa is located actually has patrolling security. And so we're out back and Albert is just this sweaty dude in his underpants to anybody that's just driving by screaming at Jordan. Jojo's trying to defuse. I'm trying to defuse. Andy's just kind of wandering around. Jordan just looks like a deer in headlights. And at some point, I tell Albert that he needs to fucking stop yelling because I see a car coming with flashing <laughs> yep. lights. But when I tell Albert <laughs> to fucking dial it down, he loses uh. his mind and actually tries to attack me. And uh, 
<laughs> and he does so. I think I'm like stunned because he comes at me with his fucking chin out. Yes. Now, I'm not trying to put myself over, but if I didn't love the guy so much, I would have just fucking clocked him. But JoJo gets between he and I and is like, no, 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 no. And he pushes Albert way the fuck back. And I'm just sitting here like thinking, you're fucking talking to me and yelling at me as a guy that just negotiated this building when you got security rolling up on your black ass while you're fucking screaming in your essential underwear. Like, you're you're going to get fucking popped. APD is going to show up and this is going to be bad. Basically, all I was trying to do was defuse the situation and get him to stop yelling. As a long time... <laughs> Albert Diffuser. The thing with Albert is as soon as you go, Albert, calm down, or Albert, shut up, or Albert, don't be so loud, it just goes to, like, fucking 11. Yeah. Which is the most frustrating thing because you're, you're Albert, already at a, an yeah. elevated level, and you just want to tell him, why won't you just shut up so this doesn't um, become any worse? Nevertheless... Albert does actually cool the fuck down and he comes back to me and says, I'm sorry. And I say, no, man, it's cool. It's just, I don't think, first of all, security was rolling up. But second of all, I don't think Jordan was hearing anything but your volume. He, If you want to get across to him how he fucked up, you got to lower your, your voice. And it's not me trying to start shit with you. It's just me trying to make sure that we don't lose this building. We don't have anybody calling the cops on us. And nobody reports this back to the woman who owns the building. Yeah. Because that's one thing that you really have to do, man. You really have to take care of your building. You can't You can't just go there, act the fool, and do whatever you want just because you plop the rent down. If you become a liability or a problem or people view you as being disrespectful to the property... You can it can cost you your your position. Yeah, contrary to popular belief, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, so, inside <laughs> inside we have uh, Franco D'Angelo taking on American Eagle, and this is just a fun. You know, the anniversary of our show is seven seven thirteen. It's right around um, July fourth. So uh, this was the last that I think we well no we have like one more cameo from him, but for the most part, last of this run of American Eagle. And Franco D'Angelo uh, picks up the win. The eagle gimmick was yeah. high. People loved that. Yeah. People loved it. I think people... I don't... What set this match up? How did this How did this happen? I'm sorry. We, I even... Yeah, we set this up at uh, No Room to... Yeah, No Room to Die. During the Gigolo and Palmer match, Franco came in and helped Palmer, and they were beating down Jigs, and American Eagle came out for the save. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So this is where our kind of one show on, one show off booking philosophy at this time kind yeah. of gets kind of weird looking back. But in the uh, we're not running shows every two months here, so it's about the equivalent of a normal show cycle for us now. Um, so we're running shows basically one every month at this point. Yeah, and as we're running shows every month, we are alternating stuff, which actually pissed a lot of the workers off, I think. Yeah. But the thing is, is that my opinion was that you didn't necessarily have to use somebody every month in order to, you know... Yeah, and we, we still had the shows going. Um, I don't know if it's 100% something that we do now, but it's not something that we wouldn't do, right? Yeah. Um, but the, it was a major part of what we were doing at the time. And to that point, we come into uh, Mike Dell versus Lance Archer for the Inspire Pro Championship as the main event. And Dell was actually not on the previous show. So 
it, it helps kind of make the titles look more important because you're not seeing them every show when it's month to month to nothing, month. Nothing gets oversaturated. Yeah. It creates anticipation, too, you know? And you also never know who's going to pop up. It also gives us an opportunity to where if, say, somebody falls through at the last moment, we have a bunch of people in our back pocket who are still relevant that we can bring in at any moment. You never really knew what was going to happen. Similar to when ACH came in, I believe there were several several reviews regarding him jumping in as uh, JoJo's partner here where they said, man, if a company can sit on Albert for however long they knew that they needed to use him, you don't know what's going to happen at these shows, and this makes this stuff really exciting. Well, yeah, and you... You can never look at a card and go, ah, I'm going to skip this one because you never know. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any memory of Dell versus Archer or were you still wrangling ACH? I think I was still dealing with stuff. Yeah. I kind of came think, in toward the end. Yeah, I think that at this point uh, someone had alerted me <clears throat> that there was chaos and I came out back to because I came out towards I came out after Albert was already calmed down. Yeah. So I think I went back out for that and uh you, gotta, you also got to remember that the last time, the last yeah. time that Albert had any sort of problem with anybody at one of our shows, it was <laughs> actually Biss. Yeah, so and I so was the me guy, being there was not the the top thing, right? Yeah, I was the guy that actually diffused things. Yeah. So, I, unfortunately, this is one of the shitty promoter things where, you know, we didn't get to watch our own fucking main event because yeah. we were dealing with with backstage stuff. Uh, you know, I watched some of this back live. It, you know, it's two fucking pros, man. What? What would you expect from Mike Dell and, and Lance fucking Archer, man? So they go out there and they do the thing. They One, shine that title up yeah. and keep it looking good. I mean, One thing I will say, I mean, uh, Mike Dell w- always looked like a star. So mm-hmm. when he came out, he always, when we put him in main events, he always looked like a guy that belonged to main events. It wasn't like, well, what, what the fuck is this? What's this kid doing out here with his dad's toy belt, right? Yeah. Like, Dell Del looked like a main eventer. Every match that Dell had while defending our title was upper echelon. And um, I was always really proud that he, he held the belt initially. And things kind of go funny eventually. Yeah, we'll but, get to that. But Mike... I think the way that we envisioned his use and the way that he saw himself being being utilized didn't quite jive. But this was still one of those moments where when he was on top, he was doing top-tier quality work. And that's one thing that you cannot take away from the guy, man. He is phenomenal at what he does. However, I think there are times when Mike gets too comfortable. He's He knows what he's good at. He knows what he can do. And, you know, the pool is what it is in, in in Texas where people are comfortable working with this person or that person and they know that they can deliver something really quality when they're, when they're, when the circumstances are, are right. But Mike was a guy that I saw when he was pushed out of his comfort zone, did some really incredible stuff. Yeah. And I think, I don't think he necessarily wanted that at that point yeah. in his career. It, but he was also not a guy that was going to consistently be pushed out of his comfort zone. Unfortunately. No. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, but anyway, so, um, at this point, Ricky pulls me aside in the hall oh. and he's, he's the, the ring is being broken down. And you got to remember earlier in the night, I'd had this near altercation with Albert. And 
Ricky's talking about how he was unhappy with the the direction of the Scott Summers match. He didn't feel comfortable with the character. And up until this point, Ricky is really, while loved by the fans, working sort of heel. But I'm trying to gradually move him into a face position because my aspiration for him is to put him uh, put him behind a title. Yeah. And An ass kicker baby face, if you will. Yeah. Is what we're heading towards. Absolutely. And... According to Ricky, based on things that he's been taught, is that there are no shades of gray. There are no tweeners. Tweeners don't exist, which I think is the biggest pile of fucking stupid shit I've ever heard. You're not just suddenly a bad guy or a good guy. There's usually kind of like this weird soft tissue area where somebody morphs from being. Let's just let's just. So Stone Cold Steve Austin starts off as a heel. Yeah. Right. You have the dual turn with Brett. And Steve, he doesn't really change how he's acting, right? Yeah. He just becomes a babyface. John Cena starts off as a heel, right? At some point, turns to babyface. Okada, who in the modern era is one of the best examples of this, is the asshole that comes back from excursion and takes fucking Tanahashi's title. Starts off as a heel with fucking Gato and then slowly turns to baby. It, it's it's a story that's been told a million times. Yeah, I Go think ahead. even even another great example of this is when Ben, it, one of the last great feuds years ago in WWE, in my opinion, was Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho, and it's when HBK uses subterfuge to overcome Batista. He lies about an injury, and then Jericho, who's a face at that point, goes, "Man, you're better than this." Why are you doing this? And of course, this leads to Jericho becoming very sour over a period with this guy that he claims to idolize. Now, the thing here is that I saw I saw Ricky becoming more of a face in the eyes of the fans, not necessarily based on his own behavior, but just by what challenges he was overcoming or what he was facing or what we were doing with him. He was transitioning. Not that he was becoming a different person, but he's facing a different set of opponents. He's facing different obstacles. He's facing things that require him to be more in control and more focused, ultimately. Anyway, I I call him a tweener, and he fucking flips out at me and starts screaming at me, and I turn my back on him and start to walk away. And at this point, uh, he's like, what the, he's again, he's like, he's like flaring up and I turn around and I snap and I say, I don't listen to you once you get above this point in your volume. If you want to talk to me, you talk to me, but you're not going to fucking embarrass me in the building like this is, has already been kind of a lousy night. I'll listen to you, but you don't yell in front of the fans at me. You don't yell in front of the other guys at me. And at this point. I don't think a lot of people know that I'm one of the bookers or I'm a creative guy. I think they just, I don't know what the perception of me was in general, but I didn't get a lot of respect and I was largely kind of not known for my actual role in the company. And in fact, I think a lot of people assume that Brandon Stroud was doing a lot of the creative stuff in the company, which was obviously not the case. The things that Brandon was providing for the company and to the company, uh, contributed to the chaos and contributed moments that we were less than proud of, I believe. Yeah. But we'll get to that next show. I, I will say that, uh, I think this, this will say that 
I hope he'll. I, I I think he'll agree that I contributed a lot of creative metal to the pot, and we just kind of uh, temper one another. Yeah. We, you know, he'll have an idea. I'll shit on it. He'll shit on my idea. We come to the middle, and we usually come up with some some really good uh, compromises. People have no idea how much we fight between shows. Yes, we you do. Know? By the time we get to the show, we're usually we have found the same page, and then it's we're going to attack and make that work for whatever it is. Yeah. But no, it's it's creative. We just dis- we disagree a lot too. And, and I mean, you can see you can see our different takes on wrestling. So it definitely comes from two different angles and then we fucking have to hash it out and no one gets to see that they just get to see day of show where we're one united front right so yeah so anyway ricky ricky actually actually uh, it's one of the reasons why i i fell uh, fell deeper in love with just him as a human being was when i said when you scream at me i shut down and i don't listen he actually kind of took a deep breath collapsed against the wall and said all right I'm sorry. And then he made his point, and then I made my point. And though we didn't necessarily agree at that point, I really appreciated the fact that he didn't fly off the handle. And when I said, hey, man, don't yell at me, he stopped yelling at me. It was it was a point, though, in general, where I felt like I was getting shit on quite a bit. I'd accomplished a lot. I promoted the shows solely, pretty much. Um, I had found the building. I was booking the cards. I was a year in. But I also, at that point, felt like a lot of people didn't respect me. I wasn't getting a lot of credit. Um, I was knocking my, my, my head in. I wasn't necessarily doing this for notoriety, though. Anyway, I know. <laughs> so we're mopping up. Yeah. We're mopping up after everybody leaves. <laughs> everybody's, gone, everybody's gone off the Kirby Lane. Uh, so at least you had my good emotional support, yeah. which I'm about to explain. Uh, okay, so just, just, yeah. just, to, just to, I want to say this. I, I guess, you know, you know what, man? Maybe, there, maybe there's another uh, side of this sort. I fucking hate Kirby Lane anyway. Yeah. But anyway, here we are mopping up. And uh, this, this has a recollection of how this went. <laughs> so... There's been multiple occasions, and they'll probably, well, I don't know. I've hit a weird zen point in it. But there's been multiple occasions where I've gone, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go build a garden in my backyard, and fucking, that's going to be what takes up my time. Um, I'm going to lose my phone number and never think about wrestling again. And Max will, like, talk me off the ledge and go, nah, man, like, think of your legacy. Think of this. Think of how much more we can do. And uh, basically pulls me back. to center and into this chaos however you want to approach it on this particular night the shoe was on the other foot and max said something along the lines of you know what man i wasn't even sure if we could do this and i did it and i proved that i can do it and i really don't have to do another show if i don't want to and unfortunately i believe my emotional supportful response was well yeah man if this is it then this is it (laughs) yeah yeah Oh my god, that pissed me off. Actually, I, I, I assumed it. Like looking back, I assumed it did. But uh, but you know, I wanted Biss to be the guy that basically <laughs> grabbed me by the collar and said, "No, man, oh, you gotta, gotta you gotta this. pick yourself back up." Here I am, kind of in my head, going, "Man, no one respects me. I'm not getting. I'm, there's no way I can take this skill set or this this reputation I've got or the credit." To these shows that I have and do something else. I was really hoping Biss was going to grab me by the collar, slap me in the head and go, no, man, you got to keep going. But no, Biss is like, yeah, dude, let's fucking pull the plug on this bathtub and go down the drain together. It was, it was really not a great, a great feeling leaving the building at that time. And I think I might have actually also been drunk. Yeah. Um, 
yeah i was i was not i was not in a good headspace at that yeah. point in the company but you also i i also got to kind of give it to you this way um so i've worked on wall street i've done 15 music videos i've worked for 50 cent i've written 22 screenplays i ran a record label briefly that put out a record by one of my favorite bands i've done a lot with my life I've lived in a lot of crazy places. I've been all over the world. And I always wanted to run a wrestling company. As a kid, I used to dream about that. I remember when I asked at one point Jim Cornette, I, 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 was, I was in his presence, and I asked, what can I do to get into this business? He said, stick to selling popcorn, kid. You've got no place in this business, and you don't belong here. As much as I hate Darren Childs and him yeah. telling me, hey, if you think you can do better, you should. Cornette is another one of those assholes that told me I couldn't do this. Yeah. But I did it. I was proud of it. I didn't know how much I needed to do or continue to do at that point in time. But uh, I had a lot of thinking to do that night once I left the hall. I remember just leaving and and going home and climbing into bed and... And that was that. And I didn't know if I was going to work on another show at, at this point. Uh, I will say I had maybe a 95% thought that. Uh, maybe uh, let me rephrase that. I had about a 5% thought that we weren't ever going to run a show again. I think because one thing even, we didn't we didn't touch on another thing, though. Yeah. The. the the, the another thing that was really demoralizing about the show, I'd been yelled at by Albert, who tried oh. to attack me. I, I had been yelled at by Ricky. I'd been just, you know, dealing with the general putting out 80 fires uh, uh, during the course of this whole day. The attendance for the show was brutal. <laughs> so, and that yeah. was it was it, this was the, the first show that we'd had where things were yeah. just like the, the Spurs were in the finals. And we didn't think that would affect us, but man, it fucking hit us. Yeah. And there was some other stuff going on around town. Um, but yeah, attend. this was the first show where attendance was, I mean, it has never been dire, but it was not what we expected. So, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure I was hit financially. So I'm sure if, if there was like a, hey, you want to stop losing money every month option, I'm sure I wasn't real hesitant to jump on it but but anyway here here i am yeah skulking around thinking fuck you bis <laughs> but i also thought i was like you were always the one to pull me out so it was almost like a variation of calling your bluff too where i was like if i actually i was like i don't have the mental capability to like to be that guy that grabs you by the scruff and slaps you across the face jim kirk style and like snap out of it man like but I knew that if I was, if I kind of called your bluff and went, yeah, let's quit, you were going to be like, eventually you'd be like, no, fuck that. So, and I think, I think that's sort of what happened. I think, I think what happened was I was so mad at you that I <laughs> wanted to keep running just to spite <laughs> you. Spite me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, you know what? No, we're not going to quit. You know, kind of like when yeah. dad says, don't make me turn this car around. Yeah. You kind of you, you the dad's not going to really turn the car around. He's going to make you suffer. He's yeah. going to drive you to the point of destination and then drag you around the <laughs> biggest ball of twine for twenty minutes yeah. or something like that. But anyway, we're going to end right there. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and we will be back at 
next week with another episode. Uh, <laughs> what 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 comes next? Uh, no turning back. Ooh. And man, we should have turned back from this show. Oh boy. Okay. It's going to get brutal, boys. It's going to get dark. Darkness falls. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you soon.